Chapter 5 of Swati, A Story of Real Boys. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Barclay. Swati, A Story of Real Boys, by Ellis Parker Butler. Scratch Cat. Well, when Mother heard that Herb and Fan had had another fight, she was so hurt by it, she just sat down and cried and said, Fan, Fan, I don't know what is going to become of you with that temper of yours, because Herbert Schwartz is one of the finest young men in the whole world, and if you keep on, you'll delineate his affections away from you entirely forever, or something like that. And it did look like it. Professor Martin's leg didn't get any better, and he had to go over to the hospital at Chicago to have it broke again and fixed, and Herb was made a regular professor at our school and principal of it, and every day he used to come into our room and talk a while with Miss Carter and walk home with her. I tell you, it looked mighty bad for Fan, and I didn't blame Herb, because Miss Carter was nice. She was nice for a teacher, I mean, and sweet and pretty and everything. Well, I had the engagement ring. I didn't know whether it was mine or whose it was, because... Fan had thrown it away, and Herb hadn't bothered to pick it up. So it looked as if it was mine, because finders is keepers. So I asked Swati. So Swati wanted to look at the ring, and when he saw it had a diamond in it, he said it was my ring, because Herb and Fan had thrown it away, but that half of it was his, because Herb was as much Swati's brother as Fan was my sister, and if they had have had the fight on Herb's porch instead of Fan's porch, it would have been Swati that found the ring. So we had it in partnership and said we would keep it, because if Herb got engaged again to Fan or to Miss Carter or anybody, we could trade it to him for his two-seat tricycle, maybe. Boney was sitting there all the time listening to us, so all at once he said, Ain't any of the ring going to be mine? The reason he said it was because most of the things we have, we have sort of in cahoots, the three of us. "'Gosh, no bony,' Swati said. "'We'd like to have you part own it, but you ain't got no excuse to. "'Herb ain't your brother, and Fan ain't your sister, "'like they are mine and Georgie's, are they? "'You ain't related to the ring no way. "'We wish he was, don't we, Georgie? But he ain't.' "'Well, Boney was sort of mad at it, but it wasn't our fault. "'So then Swati said to me, "'I ain't going to play with your sister any more.' "'Why ain't you?' I asked him. "'Because I ain't,' he said. "'If my brother Herb ain't good enough for your sister Fan, "'then I ain't good enough to play with Lucy, and I won't.' "'Well, I knew what he meant, even if he didn't say it out in words. "'He meant that he had been having Lucy for his secret girl, "'like I wanted to have Mamie Little for mine, "'and now he wasn't going to have her any more "'because Fan had been mean to Herb. "'Well, I don't blame you,' I said. "'I wouldn't either.' "'So none of us said anything for a while.' Then all at once, Boney said something. Say, he said. Say it yourself and see how you like it, Swati said. Why say, Boney said, getting red in the face and digging into the grass with his toe. If, if you don't want to play with her, can I play with her? He meant with Lucy. He meant could he have Lucy for his girl if Swati didn't want her any more? Only he didn't say it right out, of course. So Swati said he could. He said he didn't want her, and Boney could have her. Well then, Boney said, well then, I'd ought to be part owner of the ring. 
So we talked it over, and me and Swati thought that would be all right, because if Boney wasn't a brother or sister of Herb or Fan, he was going to have Lucy for his girl, and Lucy was my sister and Fan's. So we told Boney he was third partner in the ring. I guess Boney felt pretty set up and proud to have a girl that Swati had had, when he had never had any girl before. Right away he began to get mad when we said Lucy was his girl, and that's a good sign, because that's the way fellows feel. But girls don't feel that way when they have fellows. Right away they begin to wiggle their skirts when they walk, and want their mothers to curl their hair every day, and put fresh hair bows on them. So they start right in, saying how they hate the fellow that's their fellow, but they take slate pencils and apples and things from him when he gives them on the sly, and they begin writing notes to him in school, like, don't you think you're smart with your new shoes on, and things like that. So he feels pretty good after all, and gives her apples when nobody is looking, and pushes her around mean-like when anybody does look. But she don't mind being pushed around, because that's one way she knows he's her fellow. So, when there is a party, she is the one he drops a pillow before, and if she don't kiss him, all right for her, but mostly she does. She lets on that she hates it, but she don't. She likes it. Well, I guess one reason Swati was glad to get rid of Lucy was because Swati didn't care for kissing games anyway, and it wasn't much fun for him to have a girl because nobody hardly dared yell at him, Swati, 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 Lucy, she is your girl. He was too good a fighter. And half the fun of having a girl is getting mad because they yell it at you. And anyway, Swati was sort of rough to have Lucy for his girl, and she didn't like to have him for a fellow very much. As soon as school was out, Swati would begin clod fighting with the graveyard gang, or make a beeline for the baseball lot, or get up a good fight. He never wanted to sort of walk on the edge of the sidewalk when the girls were walking on the middle of it, and cut up funny to make them look and giggle. It was boys he liked to push around, and not girls. One reason Lucy didn't care much to have him for her fellow was because his father and mother were German, and none of the girls like a duchy for a fellow because lots of duchies worked in the sawmills and couldn't talk good English. But Swati's father didn't work in a sawmill, he was a tailor. But he was a duchy just the same, and when the fellows got mad at Swati, sometimes they would yell, Duchy, duchy, stuffed with straw, can't say nothing but ya, ya, ya. Well, when I had time to think it over, I thought it was funny that Swati had let Boney have a third partnership in the engagement ring as easy as he had. And then one day, I found out why it was. It shows how slick Swati was to keep a secret or anything. The vacation before the time I'm telling about, which was almost vacation time again, there was a new girl came to Riverbank. She lived in a little house across Main Street that had a picket fence and a yard that ran mostly down the gully toward Front Street. And the first I knew about her was one day when I had to go downtown on an errand and went past her house. I had on some new shoes, so I knew everybody would see them and be thinking of them, and I felt pretty mean, and when I went by the little house, the girl was behind the picket fence looking out. So I made a face at her, because it was none of her business if I did have on new shoes. It was summer, of course, and hot, but the girl had on a woolen dress, red and black checks, and it fitted her pretty tight all over and was too short and little, so that it was tight like skin, and her wrists stuck out too far. She was barefoot, too, and that was funny because girls don't go barefoot. It was as funny to see her barefoot as to see me with shoes on. I was going to yell something at her, but I didn't. I only made a face at her, but she didn't make one back at me. She just looked. 
She wasn't like any girl in Riverbank that I ever saw. She was brown, almost like an Indian, but she had reddish cheeks, and her hair was as black as tar and cut short like a boy's, only it was banged in front, and her bangs were so long they came down to her eyes and were cut as straight as a string. She stood behind the picket fence and just looked at me, and I didn't like it. Her eyes were like big black marbles and her mouth like a painted red. So I whistled and looked the other way, and the first thing I knew, she was out of the gate and after me. I tried to run, but she cornered me and took me by the hair and jerked me back and forth. I thought she was going to jerk my head off. So I pulled loose and ran because no girl can jerk me around by the hair like that. So all she got for her smarty business was just a handful of hair or two. And who cares for a handful of hair? Well, you bet I got even with her all right. I never went past her house alone after that. So that's the way she was. She stayed in her yard, and when a boy came along, she would jump out and grab him by the hair or slap him and chase him away from in front of her house. She was a tartar all right. She was like a spider that is always waiting and comes out and grabs flies. Only what she grabbed wasn't flies, it was boys. So we all got afraid of her, and we didn't dast go past her house unless we were two or three together. And then we generally went around some other way. Except Swati. Because one day, Swati, he went past her house, and she come out and was going to pull his hair like she did the rest of us. And when she came at him, he backed up against the fence. And when she reached out for his hair, he hit her hand away with one hand and slapped her on the face good and plenty. He slapped her two or three times and dared her to touch him. So she didn't say anything, and Swati didn't say anything, and they just stood there. And pretty soon, Swati went on downtown. So she just stood there. Well, me and Boney used to play with girls sometimes because they let us be the husbands and fathers and boss them around and whip the children. So when we did, Swati used to come along. Mostly he would sit and whittle until me and Boney got through. But sometimes he would be the policeman to arrest the husbands when they got drunk, or a pirate, or an Indian lurking to scalp the wives, or a orangutan to carry the children off. I guess the girls wished he wouldn't come, because orangutan is such an interruption to plain housekeeping, and pirates and policemen are an awful nuisance to mothers who want to bring up a peaceful family and don't want their husbands taken to jail just when the mud pies are cooked and dinner is ready. But they couldn't help it, because if they didn't let him, me and Boney would go where Swati went. Well, one time when teacher kept Swati in school to have the principal lick him, she went out to get the principal and locked Swati in the room, and he climbed out of the window onto a maple tree branch and got away. So the principal licked him the next day. Anyway, the trees darkened the room all up, so they had the janitor cut down the two trees, and they fell down the bank back of the schoolhouse. So that day, the leaves were only beginning to wither, and the branches of the trees made a bully place to play in. So Mamie Little and my sister and me and Boney went right out there after dinner and played house. And when Swati had been licked, or whatever he had been kept in for, he came there too. We made houses among the branches and leaves, and were fathers and mothers, and Swati had a lair and was orangutan, and hung by his knees and swang from branch to branch. It was pretty good fun, even if it was playing with girls, because it was a jungle, and me and Boney hunted the wild orangutan between meals and we were playing along all right when I saw my sister standing and looking. I guess you know how a girl stands and looks, the way a cow does when she don't like something. So I looked, and out in the street was the girl in the red and black check woolen dress. She was just standing and looking back at my sister. It made my sister mighty mad, 
I guess girls can look the things boys generally holler at each other. So my sister said, Boney, I don't want that girl to look at me. So Boney looked, and when he saw who was looking, he said, Aw, let her look, let her look, if she wants to. She ain't hurting anybody. So then my sister got awful mad. She stamped her foot. I won't let her look at me that way. So she started on a run for the girl. She didn't get quite up to her. Before she got quite to her, the girl sort of flashed up to my sister. That was about all I could see. The next I saw, she was standing just where she had always been, and my sister was flopped down on the ground with her arms over her head, yelling bloody murder. So I jumped out of the tree and ran up to my sister. Her face was all scratched up. There were four long scratches on each side of her face where the girl had raked her with her claws. So Mamie Little came running, too, and helped my sister up. If I was a boy, she said, I wouldn't let anybody do that to my sister unless I was afraid cat. Ah, uh, who's afraid cat, I said. I wasn't no more afraid cat than she was, but I guess I knew that girl. So Mamie Little took my sister by the arm. Come on, she said. I guess everybody around here is afraid cat. You and me will be mad at them and stay mad forever and ever. So I had to go. I wasn't going to hit the girl. I just thought I'd sort of push her away, only maybe a little rough, until I pushed her inside her gate so I could show a smarty like Mamie Little who was afraid cat and who wasn't. I walked over to where the girl was, and she waited for me. All I had time to see was the girl's eyes turning to something like prickly black fire, and something plumped against me like a bag of flour shot out of a sling. It was as if her body hit against me everywhere at once. And then something grabbed my hair and yanked me, and I felt scratches burning on my face, and somehow I was on the ground yelling and holding my arms above my head. The girl was standing where she had always been. I heard Mamie Little and my sister yelling, Scratch cat, scratch cat. Swati came on the run. He was pretty mad because him and me was chums, and I was his cow cousin and his double Dutch uncle, and he ran right past me and up to the girl. He gave her a push with his hand, and it sort of pushed her around. But she straightened up again and just looked at him. You scratch cat, he said as mean as he knew how. Who are you scratching around here, I'd like to know. I thought she'd jump on him and claw him like she did me, but she didn't. I ain't going to hurt you, she said. You bet you ain't, Swati said. Cause why? Cause you darsn't, that's why. Only he said, cores why, like he always does. She didn't say she did dare, and she didn't say she didn't dare. She said, come over in my yard and play with me. Don't you play with them. I can play good. So Swati pushed her again, and she stepped back a step. Don't you play with girls, she said. You come and play with me. Ah, you're a girl too, Swati said. Go on home and play with yourself. So he gave her another push. She looked as if she had never thought that she was a girl before. She said, I can beat you running, I can beat you jumping, I can beat you climbing trees, I can beat you skinning the cat, I can chin myself ten times more than you can, I can stand on my head longer than you can. Go on home, Swati said, and gave her another shove. She stepped back again. Come on and play in my yard, she said again. I can throw you any hold you want. I can fight you and lick you. Because you're a scratch cat, Swati said, and pushed her again. I can lick you without scratching, the girl said. Well, then do it, said Swati. Go on and do it, why don't you? I want to see you do it. So each time he said it, he gave her a push. I won't, she said. I ain't going to fight you. You darsn't. You don't dare. I ain't going to. So every time Swati said anything, he shoved her again. And pretty soon he had her pushed clear back against the fence of her yard. And he left her there and came back. 
We went on playing, but every once in a while we thought of her, and when we looked, she was standing just where Swati had left her. Well, we found out her name was Del Brown, because my father went to speak to her father about the way she scratched my sister. Her father's name was Reverend Brown, but he had adopted her because her folks died, and she was a sore trial, but no doubt willed by the Almighty. The Reverend Brown was a sort of preacher, and had an old white horse, and drove around the country and preached wherever he thought they needed preaching. Mrs. Brown was a sort of invalid and old, like Reverend Brown was, and he was almost too old to adopt Del Brown for his daughter. He had ought to have adopted her for his granddaughter when he was adopting. So he said he would pray about it, and Mrs. Brown said she couldn't understand Del Brown hardly, why she had the fighting streak in her, because at home she was all love and affection to Mrs. Brown, and a word made the child weep. I guess Del Brown had just so much fight in her and had to get it fought out. I guess she thought it was better to go out and fight than to fight Mr. and Mrs. Brown. Maybe she was sort of fond of them because they were funny and old and had adopted her. I guess she was like George Washington. She was good and nice, but she liked to fight. Well, after a while, school started again. I kind of hated to go because I always hate to, but more because I thought Del Brown would go to school. So she did, and the first time she got me alone, she took me by the hair and walloped me good. I hadn't done nothing to her except maybe yell scratch cat at her sometimes when I was far enough away. So after that, I didn't go to school very early, but kind of hung around until Del Brown went in, and then I went in. I never told on her. If she says I did, she tells what ain't so. It was Toadie Williams. Me and Swati was kept in that day like we most always were, and Boney was waiting outside. So Miss Murphy thought it wasn't any use talking to Del Brown anymore. It was time to rawhide her. She got the rawhide out of the closet and told Del Brown to come to the back of the room. And Del Brown went. Miss Murphy put one hand on Del Brown's shoulder and lifted up the whip to switch her across the legs. And the next thing she did was to let out a scream. And you couldn't have believed her dress could be torn so in just a second if you hadn't seen it. Her hands were beginning to get red in streaks where Del Brown had scratched them. So Del Brown just threw Miss Murphy's hair switch on a desk and stood there with her chest swelling in and out under her red and black check dress, and Miss Murphy backed away and began winding her switch on her head again. When Miss Murphy got her hair on, she went out and locked the door and got Professor Martin, the principal, who was her beau. He came in, and he was pretty mad. He grabbed Del Brown and gave her a shake, and she flew at him like a cat and scratched him across the face. He slung her around, and she hit a desk and fell on the floor. It made her cry, and Professor Martin was scared of what he had done and went to pick her up. But when he stooped, she clawed at him and scratched his other cheek, and he left her alone and told her to get up and go home because she was expelled from school. So Del Brown got up and held her hand to her side and went and got her books and went home. But there was only one rib broke, and I guess it healed all right, because she was young and tough. But nobody whipped any more girls in school. I guess they thought it was safer to whip boys. They're more used to it, and their ribs ain't so brittle. Or maybe the school board stopped it. Professor Martin almost got fired because he had broken a rib for Scratch Cat, and he would have been fired, only Scratch Cat was such a ruffian, everybody said. Well, of course the expelling didn't take, and Del Brown came back after a while, when Miss Murphy went away and Miss Carter came. She didn't fight much because her rib was brittle yet, but she was cross all the time. It looked like she hated everybody and everybody hated her. But one day, Miss Carter was walking down the aisle, and she had some flowers pinned on, 
and one dropped in the aisle, and Del Brown picked it up and put it in a book. She used to open the book and look at the flower. She used to sit and look at Miss Carter, and you couldn't tell whether she was mad at her or not, because her face was so dark and her bangs so long that she always looked scowly. But I guess she wasn't mad. I guess she wanted Miss Carter to like her, but didn't know how to make her. None of the girls played with Scratch Cat because she scratched, and none of the boys played with her either because they were afraid of her. As soon as school was out, she would go home and play in her own yard. I guess she was pretty lonely. Well, that was how it was up to the time I'm telling about, just before school closed in June, and the weather was bully and warm. It made you want to do things. So on Saturday, me and Swati and Boney was sitting in my barn and talking about what we would do that afternoon. We thought of a lot of things and said them, but every time Swati said, Oh, no, let's don't. So we didn't. So then I said, I'll tell you what. What? Swati asked. Pshaw, no, I said. It ain't no use. We couldn't get any. It ain't time for them yet. Ah, what are you talking about? Swati asked. What ain't it time for? Water lilies, I said. If it was time for water lilies, we could row up to the water lily pond and get some water lilies. So then Swati, he talked up. Well, we could row up the river anyway, couldn't we? He said, only he said roar instead of row like he always does. We could roar up the river and get some pond lily roots and sell them. Oh, who would buy old pond lily roots? Boney wanted to know. Well, I thought at first that the reason Swati said we could sell pond lily roots was because once I had told him about a man or somebody who had made money getting pond lily roots and selling them to people who wanted to raise pond lilies in a tub in their gardens. But that wasn't why he said it. Why, gosh, plenty of people want to buy them, Swati said. I guess I ought to know. I guess I've got an uncle in Darlingport, ain't I? I guess he ought to know about pond lily roots, oughtn't he? It looked like that ought to be so, because Derlingport is three times as big as Riverbank, and Swati's uncle was older than any of us. But Boney said, Ah, what does your old uncle know about pond lily roots anyway? I guess he knows plenty about them, Swati said. I guess if you went up to Derlingport to visit him, you'd see whether he knows anything about them or not. I bet my uncle is the richest man in Derlingport, and the reason he is because once, when I was out pond lilying, I sent him a pond lily root, and he grew it in a tub, and when folks saw it, they wanted to grow some too. So my uncle, he roared up the river to a pond lily pond, and he got some roots and sold them. First off, he only got a few and sold them, but pretty soon he had a hundred men getting pond lily roots for him, and he had to build a pond lily root elevator, like the grain elevator down on the levee, but ten times bigger. Gee, my Nantilly, Boney said, ten times bigger? Gee, oh, that ain't nothing, Swati said. That was when he was just beginning to start out. He's got ten of them elevators now, and he's got almost ten trillion billion pond lily roots in them. He's got a railway switch and a steamboat dock to each elevator, and when he ships pond lily roots, he ships them by the train load. Only when he sells them in Dubuque or Kirkuk, he ships them by the boat load. Gee, my Nantilly, said Boney again. Come on, let's... Well, I guess so, said Swati. I guess it's no wonder he's the richest man in Derlingport, and I can just go and visit him any time I want to. I can go visit him and take a bath right in his china bathtub. Ah, go on, I said. He ain't got a china bathtub. Yes, sir, just like a teacup. Gosh, Boney said. Did you take a bath in it? Gosh, no, said Swati. Do you think I'd go taking bathtub baths when I didn't have to? When I visit him, my uncle lets me do just what I want to. I don't have to wash my feet or take a bath or go for a cow or fetch in wood. Who fetches in the wood? Boney asked. 
No, buddy, Swati said. My uncle don't burn sawmill slabs or cordwood. He burns coal. Well, somebody has to fetch in the coal, don't he? I wanted to know. Well, I guess not, said Swati. He, he has a, a bridge built right over the top of his house so he can run a railroad over it, and he has a big iron box on top of his house under the bridge, and the railroad hauls the cars of coal right up on top of the roof and dumps the coal into the iron box, and it runs down the chimbleys right into the stove. Well, me and Bodie didn't say nothing. We just sat there and thought what we thought. And he's got a road scooped out under his house for a railroad to run on, Swati said. And there's a train of cars under the house. And when my uncle or anybody shakes the grate, the ashes fell right down an iron pipe into the cars. Come on, I said. Come on, let's go somewhere. So Swati looked at me. But I hadn't said he was a liar or anything, so there was nothing to fight about. If I had wanted to, I could have said I had an uncle somewhere that didn't bother with dirty old coal and ashes at all, but had his own natural gas well and used natural gas. But my nose was sore yet from the last time Swati had pushed it into my face, so I didn't say it. We went down to the boathouse and hired a skiff and rowed up the river to the pond lily pond. The river was pretty low, and it was muddy on the bank of the river, over knee-deep in mud. Swati got out over the bow of the skiff to pull it up on the mud, so the wash from any steamboat wouldn't send it adrift, and he went in over the knees of his pants, so we thought we had better undress in the skiff, and we did. It felt bully to be undressed outdoors again. I guess you know how the lily pond is. On one side is the railroad, and on the other side is the river, but between the pond and the river is narrow sand, with willows on it, bush willows. It makes a bank all around the lower end of the pond lily pond, and ends at the railroad. So me and Boney and Swati talked it over, and thought we'd better not leave our clothes in the skiff because somebody might steal them. First we thought we'd hide them in the willows, and then we thought we'd carry them around by the sand pit to the railroad because the pond lily roots were over by the railroad more. So we did. We walked around to the railroad and left our clothes there and waded in. Swati went first. It was pretty tough. He went into the mud pretty deep, and there were plants that had scratchels on them, and the lily plants and the arrow leaf plants were so thick you could hardly wade. They were all around the shore for two or three rods, and you couldn't see over them. They rustled like corn when we pushed through them, but we knew there was a big clear place in the middle of the pond, so we waded on out to it. It was the place where I'd learned to swim. It wasn't overhead anywhere. Well, Swati came to the open place first, and he stopped and said, There's somebody out there. Me and Boney peeked, and there was. Right off we saw who it was. It was Scratch Cat. She was in where the water was under arm deep and she was sort of crying. She was so mad. Then we saw what she was trying to do. She was trying to learn herself to swim. It was enough to make anybody laugh. It looked like she had been at it a long time, for she was so cold she was shivering. We were near enough to her to see that the black spot on her arm was a mole and not a leaf or a vaccination, and we could see her shiver as plain as could be. The way she was learning herself to swim was this. She put her hands out in front of her and sort of jumped off her feet and then kicked and pounded the water and went down under. I guess you know how that feels. You can't get your head above water when you're that deep unless you stand up, so you paw on the mud and get scared because you can't get to your feet. Del Brown would come up scared to death and spit and blow and sort of cry and shiver, and then she would do it all again. I guess it was pretty tough. Every time she went down, she must have got scratched up by the weeds with scratchels on them some sort of smart weed, and she was scared and chilly. It was mighty funny. I guess I laughed out loud. Anyway, all at once she saw Swati and us. 
She ducked like a shot until only her head was out of water, and me and Boney laughed. But Swati didn't. He pushed me and Boney back and said, Hey, Scratch Cat, wait, I'll show you how to swim. Only he said, I'll show you how to swim, the way he always says show. So he slid his hands out on the water and turned on his side and swam towards where she was. He didn't mean nothing. All he meant was to show her how to swim because she would never learn the way she was trying. But Scratch Cat turned and held her arm straight out in front of her and hurried for the shore, pushing the weeds away with her hands. Swati kept telling her to wait, and once he came up to her and she turned and hammered him with her fists, crazy mad, and he let her go on. The weeds must have scratched her pretty bad, ripping through them that way, but she got to the railway track and began putting her clothes on fast. So Swati said, "'Gosh, I bet she gets our clothes and hides them or something.' So me and Swati and Boney hurried to where our clothes were and dressed. We got most of our duds on and were putting on the rest when we heard somebody yelling. It was a woman, and she was over on the river road across a cornfield from where we were, and she was yelling like she was being murdered. I was mighty scared. All I thought of was that whoever was murdering her would murder her and then come over and murder us. I guess Boney thought the same thing, for he got white and started to run down the railway bank toward our skiff. So I started after him. But Swati, he started to run the other way, down the bank to the cornfield, towards where the woman was screaming. He rolled down to the bob wire fence and started down between the corn rows as hard as he could go. Me and Boney stopped and looked, and then we went after him, only slower. And when we got deep into the corn, we got more scared. He didn't like to be so far from where Swati was, with a woman screaming like that and being murdered. So I hurried up, and Boney came along, blubbering. I told him to shut up. We came to the edge of the cornfield and stopped. It was Miss Carter, her teacher, and a tramp had her by the throat trying to make her stop her yelling. And just then Swati jumped on the tramp. He had a rock and he lambed at the tramp with it and hit him on the arm. So then Miss Carter went limp and stopped yelling and fell in a pile on the road because the tramp let go of her and she fainted. The road was all tramped up and covered with walked-on flowers Miss Carter had been getting, but the tramp reached around and grabbed Swati and got him by the neck and began to pound his head. Me and Boney crouched down and looked between the boards of the cornfield fence because we was too scared to run away. Swati done the best he could, but it wasn't much use. He was getting killed, I guess. But all at once, Scratch Cat came a-sailing out of the cornfield and lit on the tramp with both hands. When her eight claws came raking down his face, he let loose of Swati and grabbed for Scratch Cat, but she wasn't where he grabbed. She was standing away, with her hands clawed and her head sort of pointed at him, ready to jump again. So Swati picked up the rock and slung it and caught him in the back of the neck. He hollered like a bull and turned, and Scratch Cat went at him and raked him on the side of his face. He lambed at her, and I guess he caught her on her brittle rib because she hollered. She didn't care what happened, I guess, when he hit her brittle rib, so she went right at him, and Swati made a dive for his legs and got a hold on them. The tramp fought good and hard. He went down, but he kept on fighting, and Swati hollered for me to get a rock and whack the tramp on the head with it. Maybe I would have, I don't know. Just then a top buggy came around the bend of the road, and the tramp showed all he was worth and beat off Swati and Scratch Cat and cut into the woods. We heard him cracking the brush as he scooted, and that was all we knew about him. Well, the man in the top buggy was Herb Schwartz, so he got out and picked up Miss Carter and fetched her too, and Swati told him what had happened. So Herb went to where Scratch Cat was sitting on the side of the road with her hand where her brittle rib had busted. So Swati went over there too. 
Gosh, I'd have been killed if you hadn't come, he said. But she stood up and looked at him. What'd you come swimming at me when I was naked for, she said. And she was as mad as hops. I guess her rib hurt her and made her sort of crazy mad, and Swati was the first one that came near her, so she picked on him. Why'd you dare, she screeched at him. I'll show you not to, or something like that. So she went for him. She didn't scratch either. She used her fists. She fought like crazy and got her leg back of his and threw him and piled on top of him. He had to fight as hard as he knew how to, and it was all right because she wasn't a girl. She was something crazy mad. It was a quick fight and a good one, and then Herb Schwartz grabbed Scratchcat by the shoulder and pulled her off Swatty. But that didn't matter because the fight was over anyhow. Swati had said, Enough! I won't do it again! Well, as soon as Herb had stood Scratch Cat up, she turned white and fell down. She had fainted. It was a good deal of a mess-up. Miss Carter had got hysterical and was laughing and crying so she couldn't put her hair up where it had fell down. And Scratch Cat was stretched out, fainted. And I guess Herb Schwartz was never so busy in his life before. He sent me and Boney and Swati over to the Pondley Pond for a hatful of water. And while we were gone, he hugged Miss Carter until she wasn't hysterical, because I guess that was what she needed to cure her. And then he soused Scratch Cat with the water, and she came around all right. So he took Miss Carter and Scratch Cat back to town in the top buggy, and me and Swati and Boney went back to our skiff and rode home. Swati was pretty quiet. I guess he thought Herb and Miss Carter would tell all over town how he had been licked by a girl but he told me and Boney he would kill us if we told it, so we didn't. But neither did Herb or Miss Carter. The reason was that Scratch Cat told them not to tell she had been fighting. Herb told Swatty that Scratch Cat had asked them not to. After a while, Scratch Cat's brittle rib healed up again, and she didn't have to stay in bed. And I was going downtown on an errand past her house, and I saw Swatty in her yard. They were playing Mumbledy Peg. So after that, she played with me and Boney and Swati, and pretty soon with Mamie Little and my sister and the other girls, and she was almost the one they liked best. So one day, Swati said to me, Don't you ever darst yell at me that Scratch Cat is my girl. Oh, I never yelled it, I said. You better not, he said, because she ain't. So then I knew she was. End of chapter 5